Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к преддверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которые очертила десница Твоя для поклонения святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего. Пропитай нас Духом Твоим Святым. Позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки. Веди его рукою превознесенную. Великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь. Можете садиться. Да 
Бог оставит тебя, Господь, и сохранит тебя. Да призлит на тебя, Господь, светлым лицом своим, и помилует тебя, и помилует тебя. Да обрати, Господь, лицо свое на тебя.
Облечься в Его воскресенье И новым творением стать Самое высшее счастье Учение Христова познать Наполнится всей полнотою И Богу во всем угождать Самое высшее счастье Учение Христова познать Наполнится всей полнотою И Богу во всем Yes, 
If you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain the depth and riches of the wisdom of God that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, continues to reveal to us deeper and greater. Matthew 5:45 and 48. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called, Called to Perfection. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, which is addressed exclusively to the students of Christ, and us, if we are students, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man, specifically the goals that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue. And in part, we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart received by us in the two broken tablets in which we died by the law for the law to live for the one that died and resurrected. <clears throat> consists in us being able to receive confirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of the covenant, which are called to provide God the foundation to give us the promise to be heirs of peace, not by the law, but by the righteousness of faith, like he gave it to Abraham and his seed. Romans 4.13 For the promise that we would be the heirs of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, 
but through the righteousness of faith. In order to enter into the inheritance of peace, it is necessary to fulfill the condition. You need the righteousness of faith. We need to know that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, which is presented in the preached word of God's delegated persons and having the person who represents the fatherhood of God for us and have him be our head. Isaiah says, not all have believed our report, for faith comes by hearing and hearing. As this word has never been spoken by the will of man, but people who were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so to understand without these people will be impossible. Therefore, the promise of peace is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God in accordance to which God sends us his word by his delegated persons. Therefore, the covenant of peace within the heart of a man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God or the spoken word by God's delegated people. We need to examine a person as to whether he truly is sent by God to present to us his word by the order of delegation implemented by God and by the existing within our heart anointing to determine the voice of God in the mouth of the person who is supposed to represent for us the fatherhood of God. If we are sheep and we will know then we will know the voice of the Heavenly Father in the mouth of the person that demonstrates the fatherhood of God for us. 1 John 2:18 through 26 Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. And so people who attempt to perform division, the scriptures characterize them as antichrists. If you can imagine such antichrists, create their own churches, especially amongst such hooligan charismatics. They have perverted the truth, which means practicing of spiritual gifts. And right now, for them, it is freedom to sin. They are demonic. They are dancing, shouting, and they think that this is anointing. And they think that they do correctly, that they came out from these dead structures, uh, religious as they so call them. But you were born them. This is your cradle. This is where you were born. Why is it that you are now bad-mouthing your mother. And so this is how we are to determine a person when God places him in the church by his implemented order of delegation and not when a person is elected by a vote or a person who may have placed himself that he had a dream or received some kind of prophecy that he has to be the one. By the means of the righteousness of faith, the covenant of peace demonstrated in the inheritance of peace is called to abide and be within the heart of a man 
and is evidence of the fact that we are children of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace present in the covenant of peace is actually the treasury of our hope in God, containing the complex of all of the promises of God. When accomplished, this is the goal of the given to us righteousness. <clears throat> Therefore, it is righteousness by the means of the peace of God contained in the covenant of peace that can and is called to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. The peace of God that is able to guard our thoughts in Christ Jesus are the thoughts that are renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Even the desire of a person to be in Christ Jesus, his mind cannot be in Christ Jesus because it is a carnally, carnal mind. Romans again 8, 6, 8, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You can speak in tongues, you can evangelize and live by the flesh. According to this statement, we conclude that people that have not allowed the truth of the preached word in the power of the Holy Spirit to renew their mind by the spirit of their mind have no connection to the peace of God and are not able to have it. And consequently, such people have no connection to the sons of peace either, that by the means of the peace of God would inherit eternal salvation in the kingdom of heaven. We need to apprehend this well, that it is only the collaboration of our spirit with our renewed mind, that is, within Christ Jesus, that we are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ. It's talking about our earthly bodies. In in the actual time and not we're not talking about the future where the Lord will rapture us and our bodies will be transformed into the image of Christ we're talking about the earthly bodies that will be delivered from the law of decay in which Christ will reign and this will be the condition and testimony that we will be raptured and not perish and now to look at the righteousness of faith, bringing about the inheritance of the peace of God and to under, and understand the conditions outlining the way our righteousness needs to garment itself into the armor of this peace so that our, our mind would be perfect as our Heavenly Father be perfect, we have come to the necessity to look at four classical questions. God loves those who love Him and hate those who hate Him. And so when he shines with his sun upon the righteous, he blesses them with the light. But when he shines with his sun upon the wicked, he pours out his wrath. When he pours out his rains, he blesses the righteous. When he pours out his rains upon the unclean, upon the wicked, then these rains are a punishment for them and not a blessing. As it is written in Job, he commands his clouds to go according to his intention and for the one he sends these clouds as a blessing and a mercy for the other as a punishment so what are the qualities 
of the peace of God in Scripture called to guard our minds in Christ Jesus. Second, what power does the peace of God have within the relationship of God and man, man with other men, and man with all of the world? Third, what conditions do we fulfill to be clothed into the peace of God, called to guard our minds in God? And fourth, by what signs are we able to determine, examining ourselves, that we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God? Because it is by the reign of the peace of God within our heart that we are able to determine and examine ourselves that we are the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5, 9. We've noted that if a person has not died for his nation, for the house of his father, and for his destructive desires, then his justification which he received in salvation by faith in Christ Jesus in the format of a guarantee will never convert into righteousness by which he would be able to receive and be clothed into the promise of the peace of God so that he in righteousness would be able to bear fruits of peace. And furthermore, not dying for their nation, house of, house of their father, and their desires, a promise of peace will be taken from them, giving them the right to be called the sons of God. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast that what you have that no one may take your crown. Revelations 3.11 We need to remember that the promise of peace receives its power and its legitimacy within our heart only by the righteousness of our faith in the covenant of peace which places responsibility upon both parties or both sides of the covenant, where each of the sides of the covenant is responsible to fulfill their role that is implemented by God according to the requirements of the existing covenant. And if one of these sides breaks or violates the agreement that was made in the covenant of peace between God and man, we need to note that such a violator can only be a man, then the other side, being God, is released or freed from the responsibility of fulfilling the agreement of the covenant of peace. Therefore, the fruit of righteousness, identified as the peace of God within our heart, is evidence of the fact that we are sons of peace. This serves as grounds or a basis for God so that He may fulfill His side of the covenant of peace, which consists in leading us into the inheritance of His Son, so that we would be able to share with Him the fulfillment of all that is written about Him in the laws, prophets, and psalms. Because the justification which we receive by right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth has converted into righteousness, with which we became able to bear the fruits of peace within our relationship with God and with those around us. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14. We've noted that in this place of Scripture we are talking about a form of, u of unique and supernatural peace that is able to function only within the boundaries of holiness or be an expression and demonstration of holiness. These outlined and identified boundaries of holiness are the commandments of God that contain the justice of God. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, Romans 12:18. This verse speaks of 
the fact that we can't have peace with all people. Therefore, the peace that we dare to demonstrate out of the boundaries of holiness and not as an expression of holiness is actually an incrimination of serious lawlessness to us for which will be required to pay a price of eternal life because our communication with people that the scriptures identify as evil company will corrupt our good habits and will, will transform us into their wicked image. Do not be deceived, Apostle Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 15.33. Evil company corrupt good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. That is, avoid communication with this, with this evil company. For some, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15, 33-34. It is impossible and, and criminal to have peace with the unclean and the lawless who support the unclean, that in their time accepted the truth, but afterwards left the church and turned away from the holy commands that were given to them. The very fact of their rebelliousness and resistance of words from God's delegated people are, that are placed over them, testify of the loss of peace in their heart and member them to the category of the wicked. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20-21. And this is not the only place of Scripture. In the previous services, we, in a specific format, as much as the Lord has allowed and the measure of our faith, have already looked at the first three questions and stopped to study the fourth question. Question four, by what signs are we able to examine ourselves, that we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God, called to share the inheritance of Christ contained in the laws, prophets, and psalms? We've noted that the limits or boundaries of holiness within which peacemakers similar to their Heavenly Father perform peace within the town and time and boundaries of, uh, given to them by God are the boundaries of the commandments of the Lord in the format of the elementary principles of Christ. The tool by which the sons of peace perform peace within the boundaries of the commandments of the Lord is the righteousness of their faith. In a specific format, we have already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. The seventh sign is the ability to clothe your essence into the holy and the selective love of God. But above all these things, put on love which is the bond of perfection and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3.14.15 We've noted that according to this place of Scripture, the rule of the peace of God in our heart is possible only upon one condition, and that is if the selective love of God will abide within our heart, and if we will be clothed into this selective love of God. By itself, the selective love of God is an uncomprehendable for the human mind goodness of God or kindness that is inherent to God. Since in the selective love of God, which is the goodness of God, we see concealed the good, wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehendable for the human mind goals and works of God, called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and exclusively with His children. Christ died for His church and not for the whole world. God has loved in the world those people 
who will believe in him, not the whole world, because this is the incorrect translation that God so loved the world that all who believe in him but have eternal life. You see, only one who believe in him will be saved. So how then, how, do, how then does God love the whole world if only those who believe in him will be saved? It needed to be translated correctly. That God so loved those who believe in him in the world that they may have eternal life. God judged the world. God hates the world. Apostle John says, the world is the enemy. Everything that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, do not love the world and what is in the world. It is written. So it cannot be that in one place it says love the world because God loves it, and then in other places it says hate the world. It's just an, the, the translators didn't translate it correctly. Defining the selective love of God that is demonstrated in Christ Jesus, which surpasses our understanding or is out of the boundaries of being understood by the abilities of our mind, Apostle Paul says that to comprehend the love of God is called to fill us with all of the fullness of the peace of God. That is, make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. To comprehend the selective love of God, it is necessary with the Spirit of God to be strengthened with might in our inner person, that in nature is relative to the nature of God. Apostle Paul writes Ephesians 3:16 through 19. This is a prayer that is written by Apostle Paul that he prayed about the church, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is he's talking to the saved, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. We note that the phrase that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all of the saints in, indicates the necessity to find the narrow gate in the form of a good wife symbolizing all of the saints that are included in the category of God's chosen flock. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord, Proverbs 18.22. To find a good thing and to obtain favor from the Lord is to discover, by part of God's, of course, finding this good wife, that's finding a good, the, the chosen flock of God, is to discover the treasure of the kingdom of heaven upon your field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field, Matthew 13, 44. According to this parable, we conclude that if a person does not discover the hidden in the field treasure of the kingdom of heaven by searching for it, he will not be able to utilize the grace of God in the form of a good wife to bring about his salvation. The symbol of the field upon which the treasure of the kingdom of heaven is hidden, we see a symbol of our body that is under the power of the law of sin and death, but for whom at the door of our hope the promise that is called to is given that is called to deliver him from the law of sin and death. Upon the condition that we sell all that we have in the form of our nation, the house of our father, and our fleshly life, for this field in the form of our earthly body, to whom the promise of the kingdom of heaven belongs, called to deliver it from the law of sin and death. 
Therefore, finding a good wife is making a matrimonial contract or a marital union with a specific church of saints that satisfied the condition of the chosen by God flock. According to scripture, the selective love of God as the true virtue that a virtuous wife uh, demonstrates or possesses is kindness or goodness grown from knowing God by listening to the preached word about the kingdom of heaven inside of a man. And such virtue that is grown by God within the heart of a man from the seed of the preached word of God about the kingdom of heaven is identified in scripture as wisdom that comes from above, that abides within our heart, moral perfection, the bond of perfection, splendor, greatness, beauty, magnificence, and glory. However, to have more practical specification when it comes to the selective love of God, we decided to look at the character and quality contained in the selective love of God as the true virtue presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the spoken words of the apostles and the prophets. 2 Peter 1, 2 through 8. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called you to glory and virtue, but also for this very reason. <clears throat> and so if we will not bring about these promises, we, if we bring about these promises, we will be a part of God's divine nature. If we will not, then we will lose it. <clears throat> if we by the great and precious promises will not become a part of God's divine nature by having all of these forms of virtue but also for this very reason giving all diligence add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge to knowledge self-control to self-control perseverance to perseverance godliness to godliness brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness love for if there these things are yours and abound you will be neither barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ according to this place of scripture we conclude that each of the individual elements of the fruits of virtue contain contain the characteristics of all the rest of the qualities as they flow one from the other, complete one the other, strengthen one the other, and exist in each other. The given qualities are the moral perfection and example inherent to the essence of God, the given qualities of the great and precious promises given to us in Christ Jesus. The given qualities are the imperishable treasure and wealth with which we need to become rich. Fifth, in order to receive the inheritance of these qualities, it is necessary for us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Sixth, the means that we are to utilize to receive the power of the Holy Spirit is our faith or obedience of our faith to the faith of God. And seventh, by inheriting these great and precious promises, we become part of God's divine nature. In essence, true virtue demonstrated in the qualities and characteristics of the selective love of God is none other than the royal crown of the righteousness of God, standing guard of His burning holiness. Therefore, the virtue that we are called to demonstrate in our faith in the selective love of God is a holy love that comes from the goodness of God. <clears throat> this element is identified as the great mystery of God that is concealed in the work of His redemption.
According to this, the selective love of God has nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with the natural human love that is satisfying egoism, greed, and short-lived quality. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Apostle Paul writes, God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 This is a demonstration of God's love. Because of this, we began to study the selective love of God in the context and format of the seven qualities of unearthly virtue, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly bodies into the resurrection of Christ, that is, into our new person. And for this purpose, it was necessary for us to first differentiate the selective love of God from the tolerant love of man, as the quality of the selective love of God does not compare in any way with what man calls love. Because the virtue of the selective love of God are eternally existing virtues and characteristics of God himself, as well as his all-consuming holiness and all that comes from God, because God is love. And such an uncomprehendable for the mind unearthly love coming from a similar goodness of God is defined in Scripture as the bond of perfection. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, Colossians 3.14. The bond of perfection of the selective love of God within the seven given qualities of virtue are unconditional when it comes to the other seven qualities of virtue. Unlike the tolerant and egotistical love of man, the unconditional nature of the selective love of God is <clears throat> different in that it contains the burning jealousy of God, all his knowledge and his absolute wisdom and in no way is able to be used for greedy and egotistical purposes or goals. At the same time, the tolerant love of man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy and egotistical purposes. Here's what the scriptures say regarding the strength of the love of God. Songs of Solomon 8, 6, 7. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. The tolerant love of God, <clears throat> the tolerant love of man is able to be purchased. The intolerant love of God is not able to be purchased. The love of God is thankful. The love of man is not thankful. A person receives and says <clears throat> without, with, with no thanksgiving. He does not think because he thinks that someone is required or obligated to do something. You're my brother. You're required. Why am I supposed to thank you for that? <clears throat> you're my father. You're my mother. <clears throat> so what, you gave me something I need to thank you for it? You bore me, so you're required. A wife says to her husband, what am I going to thank you for? Yeah, you did this. You're required to do it. You're my wife. Or you're required to. You're my husband. And so people... 
often are not happy in this love because they're always waiting for more and when they don't receive more, they're not thankful and they're upset. You gave them a thousand and they thought that you're going to give them two or three and they get upset about it. But when it's God's love, it is thankful for all things, literally for all things. God thanks every person, whatever he may do for him. The smallest thing, he will not leave anything without thanking the person for it. The unconditional nature of the selective love of God can be received and given exclusively by knowing the truth within your heart and receiving the Holy Spirit upon the basis of absolute and reasonable willingness of the person. The measure of the love of God is identified by and is known by the measure of God's hatred toward evil and men who do this evil. Because only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we demonstrate God's reaction to good and evil. Looking at the selective love of God in the format and virtue of the knowledge of Christ, we've come to the conclusion that the love of God flowing from the goodness of God in nature is intelligent and has wisdom. Unlike the tolerant love of man, <coughs> which by nature is blind as it is based upon and is led not by wisdom but rather by feelings, the selective love of God with the existing in it knowledge rules over its emotions and leads the emotions. Therefore, the selective love of God is led by sober knowledge, controlling and leading the feelings, commanding them who and in what way they are to love and who they are to hate. The Greek word from which the word knowledge is translated is the mind or the ability to discern or think. But here we're talking about the renewed mind and not just about the simple mind. The knowledge contained in the selective love of God is a supernatural element and this element is the mind of Christ is the mind of Christ. Love that a person demonstrates in his mind instead of demonstrating the mind of Christ has nothing to do with the selective love of God that flows from the virtue of God. Studying the selective love of Christ from the position of knowledge, we've come to the conclusion that in Scripture the knowledge of the love of God is reflected in all of the shades of the work of the mind of Christ in us. This is the knowledge of Christ in us. <clears throat> this is the reasoning of Christ in us. This is the discernment of Christ in us. This is the understanding or intelligence of Christ in us. This is the apprehension of Christ in us. This is the judgment of Christ in us. Considering, therefore, that the knowledge of Christ within our heart is the quality of the love of Christ, we came to the conclusion that the love of Christ demonstrated in knowledge is called to give us understanding about what is good and what is bad, Determine is determined by the ability to connect us to the life of God, requires that you set, not set your heart as the heart of God, not... Uh, it's requiring us not to name our creation by the name of God, to keep us from evil, give us the ability to get to know the will of God, and keep us from stumbling. Looking at the essence of the love of God from the position of self-control, we come to the conclusion that, in Scripture, the self-control of the love of God is demonstrated in seven elements that are tied to the will of God within us, because unlike the love of man that states you cannot dictate or command the heart, the love of God can control the heart and dictate the heart. 
pretty much legalizing the rule of our emotions, which we are not able to control or that we cannot dictate to, we justify immoral behavior and unfaithful behavior in marriage. Because the immoral behavior and unfaithfulness is none other than the lack of ability to rule over yourself. Therefore, self-control of the selective love of Christ within our, within our heart is a legitimate foundation and moral state for a proper relationship of a person with God and people with other people. And first of all, a husband and a wife, parents with their children, children with parents, members with each other, the pastor with the church, the church with the pastor. Relevant to this, I would like to remind us of the Greek definition of the word self-control when it comes to yourself, self-possession, self-restraint, self-control, self-discipline, subjection or servitude, self-examination, and self-direction. Specifically, having these characteristics of self-control within our heart, demonstrated in governing over yourself, this identifies the selective love of Christ within us. In other words, demonstrating self-control that consists in the selective love of Christ abiding within our heart is the liberty of Christ within us, the liberty we have from sin. The selective love of Christ within our heart is demonstrated in the liberty of Christ and first, identifies our liberty from slavery of sin and second, reveals itself within our heart by the power of the abilities of the will to perform just judgment of ourself. And in this way, keep the sovereign rights of the Son of God in our heart from being violated by fleshly desires. In a specific format, we have already looked at two characteristics that identify the self-control of the love of Christ within us. First, self-control contained in the love of Christ within our heart is determined by the power and abilities of our self-will that are focused upon fulfilling the commandments of God. Practically all of the commandments of the Lord pursue the goal of disciplining the human essence and redirecting His will to fulfill the will of God. At the same time, all of the blessings of God are the oath promises of God that are the thanksgiving of God for fulfilling His commandments. If we want to, by, by the promise to become a part of God's divine nature, we need to fulfill God's commandments. Because the promise is given as a, a thanksgiving for fulfilling His commandments. And if the knowledge knowledgeable love of God in us gives us the understanding of what God sees as good and evil, the self-control of the love of God in us gives us the power to select what God seeks, sees as good and refuse the evil that God determines to be evil, as it is written about Christ who lived in this mortal body <coughs> as our own bodies. Curds and honey he shall eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Isaiah seven fifteen. <clears throat> this curds and honey is the word of God, the prophetic word. Second, self-control contained in the love of Christ within our heart is determined by the ability to gladly collaborate your will with the will of God. Second Corinthians 9, 7, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Practically, the self-control of the love of God, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith willingly, directs us to the fact that the love of God stands guard of its sovereign liberty, as well as respectfully and with honor regards the sovereign liberty of those people that it comes in contact with and for whom she carries responsibility 
for before God. Many pastors <coughs> uh, violate the, the boundary of their, of their members. They use their authority against scripture. They control the inheritance of God instead of help them. A person that is under control will never be directed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why are like this? They like this because they're of the flesh. A person of the flesh controls because of fear. We see the spirit of control. We see it very clearly shown in the relationship of a husband and wife. Each one wants to take the top position over the other in any situation. Instead of fulfilling your role within your within your uh, marriage. Third, self-control contained in the love of Christ within our heart is determined by our ability to take careful heed to love your Lord. To take careful heed that is for in any any by any means possible. Joshua 23:11 Therefore take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Again, therefore, carefully heeding means utilizing all of the available or accessible to us methods and means contained within our wise and willing abilities to demonstrate our love to God and fulfilling His commandments. Mark 12.30 And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. If you pay attention, the word carefully heed to love again and again speaks to us about the fact that if we are to reach this goal, we need to overcome all barriers and difficulties. Since all kinds of barriers come up upon our path of demonstrating love to God, and these barriers will come from such enemies as from our flesh, from our relatives, from our fleshly and unclean, from fleshly and unclean people, from the which overfill the churches today, from the world in the form of our nation, and from demons that support all of the above-mentioned enemies. To overcome these barriers, it is necessary for us to die for our nation, for the house of our Father, and for our destructive desires by the cross of our Lord Jesus. Fourth, self-control contained in the love of Christ within our heart is determined by our ability to deny all ungodly and worldly lusts. The book of Titus 2.11.12 For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should love soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. According to the given statement, the goal, which consists of denying all ungodly and worldly lusts, is the ability to utilize the abilities of your will to soberly, righteously, and godly live in the present age. Soberly means wisely, restrained, consciously, intelligently, pure, and not double, double-mindedly. Sober is one of the characteristics of self-control linked to correctly behaving with the opposite sex. That as a result, denying all ungodly and worldly lusts is demonstrated in our clothing, behavior, and our words not arouse sexually instinctual desires of the opposite sex. 
Sober is also one of the sides of self-control that we are called to demonstrate within when it comes to the law of Moses. Acts 21:25. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. It is impossible to demonstrate a sober love in your faith in self-control without first denying ungodly and worldly lusts. Righteously means to act justly in accordance to the law of light, to demonstrate immortality and not some kind of destruction or the feeling of guilt. Psychologists uh, state that uh, the feeling of guilt is a strong, the strongest emotion that you're not able to be freed from. The feeling of guilt comes from the law of condemnation and uh, deprives a person of, of thinking logically. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. You see what the law of condemnation does in a person that reveals sin and gives, its, give it, gives it power or strength. How do we be delivered from this? I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden, I said. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Psalm 32, 3-5. What did David say? He said before Dathan, I sinned before the Lord. Don't think that confession works directly without the person that is placed by God. Only this person is able to forgive and release your sins because Christ leaving said, I give you the power to forgive sin and retain sin, either forgive or retain. In this way, the apostles received a mandate as Jesus had to forgive sin. How can you forgive sin if they confess them only directly to God and don't come to the person who demonstrate the fa- demonstrates the fatherhood of God? When David was shown that he had sinned, he said, I sinned before the Lord, and the prophet said, you will not die because the Lord has taken your sin away. If we confess our sins, then he, being faithful and true, will forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we will confess our sins. In Acts it is written, many who believed came to the feet of the apostles and confessed their sins, being already have rep- repented. Godly means, regardless of the situation, to keep yourself and your mouth from from being de- from defiling you in the world. James 1, 26, 27. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, bridle his tongue, but receives de- deceives his own heart, this one's religious religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Look at what people talk about when they get together. Uh, people in saints are they talking about principles of scripture or do they begin to talk about all kinds of ideas and other things that they talk about fifth self-control contained in the love of Christ within our heart is determined by our ability to take the kingdom of heaven by force 
Matthew 11:12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. It is interesting that the word to take it by force is to capture it, take it for yourself, claim it for yourself. This talks about the fact that to take the kingdom of heaven is linked to specific, uh, uh, say, sudden acts that will need to be made that are necessary, so you need to be ready then to do them as soon as the time comes so, so that you can then claim it for yourself. And so this is when the heart is ready. You know, when a woman is ready to conceive, this is what it means. This is taking by force the kingdom of heaven. It's taken, given to us in the seed of the word. As soon as uh, we're ready, we immediately are conceived by the seed of the word. But if she's not ready, what if she's too young? Then, of course, she will not be able to do that. She will look uh, very naively and she will look very uh, ignorantly at this at uh, at the word because she's not able to receive it. She's not mature enough. People think that they've con- if they've repented, received uh, the Lord, and that they're baptized by the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, they're re- they're able to conceive. We're given apostles, prophets, evan- uh, evangelists, teachers to be able to grow. Uh, into full measure in Christ so that we can then receive the seed of the kingdom of heaven to be saved. And you yourself will be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding that when he comes and knocks they may open to him immediately. Luke 12, 36. We know that the foolish virgins were the ones that though they're that younger uh, sister who is not yet mature. What will we do when they come and ask for her? If she would have been a wall, we would have built battlements of silver upon her. We would have uh, uh, given to her the kingdom of heaven. She would have been saved. If she would have been a door, we would have, we have, would have overlaid her with cedar boards. And cedar is a symbol of, of righteousness, not justification, but justification converted into righteousness. And she didn't have this, and so the five virgins didn't have this. And so when the when uh, it was announced that the groom, the groom is coming, their lamps were dying. That means they did not receive the kingdom of heaven in the form of a seed of the word. If they would have received it, their lamp would not have died. But those cl- theirs clearly were burning. And so these came to them saying, give us some of your oil. And they said, no, you need to pay a price for that. Go to the seller and purchase for yourself. You received only what you understood with your head. But you, what you did not understand, you said, well, how can we listen to this? You need to listen not because of what we understand or not understand. We need to base it from the fact that this is a person of God, God has placed him, and whatever is spoken, the Lord is saying it. We receive not just what we understand, but what we don't understand as well, because what we don't understand will be the uh, breads upon the table of showbreads. This is for the Lord, which is why we don't understand them. Those that are the things that are open belong to us, but those that are concealed are the Lord's. We don't want to give it to the Lord. <clears throat> why? I don't understand it. Explains, explain it to me. Gladly accept the things you don't understand in two to three weeks, in a month, or later, 
uh, you will understand. The Lord will reveal when the, the breads are to be changed out. The Lord will reveal it to you and you will understand it. Disciples who receive what they did not understand, the 12 people, when Christ said, who will not eat of my body or drink of my, of my blood, the most of the people, if you remember, departed from him. And those also didn't understand the 12, but they accepted the words. And about his mother, she didn't understand either, but she put it into her heart. The disciples were complaining, saying, Lord, yesterday you said something that they were uh, offended by it. And instead of saying, oh, how's it? He, he said, and said, he said, do you not also want to leave? And Peter responded for all of them, we have nowhere to go. You have the words of, of eternal life, even though we don't understand it. But you have the words of eternal life. Jesus simply said, you are blessed, Peter, because not flesh and blood revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. A little bit of time passed by, and in the last uh, supper, he took the bread, broke it, and says, this is my body broken for you. The disciples understood then, Lord, each one uh, understood. If you would have said this then, they would not have left. And then he took the wine, he blessed it and said, this is my cup poured out for the forgiveness of sin, of the new covenant, this is my blood. I said, Lord, well, why would why didn't you say this before? So that upon the show, a table of showbreads, there would be these breads, was the reason. Sixth, Self-control contained in the love of Christ within our heart is determined by our ability to pray always in the Spirit. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, Ephesians 6, 18. To pray in the Spirit is such communication where a person demonstrates his love to God and God in turn pours out his love upon man. This is possible only in tongues. In spirit, that is, in, by, with the mind, this is your own language. The phrase, praying always with all prayer and supplication, talks about the fact that praying in tongues will be blocked and will be confronted That will need by, by certain barriers that will need to also be overcome. And such barriers will come first from not, the not understood by us uh, prayers uh, or a prayer that's not responded to when it's not responded to our faith begins to dim and without pr uh, faith we then don't have the desire to pray in tongues why and again these barriers will also come from fleshly and blind leaders that will forbid you from speaking in tongues Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. 1 Corinthians 14.39 <clears throat> Right now, on Friday, we are going through this, how to pray in the Holy Spirit, what is sp praying in tongues, what are its uh, benefits, what, how we need to use it, how do we need to correctly apply it. Considering that our time is up, let us bend our knees, however, who is comfortable, and we will pray. And all those who desire to confront all dependence, dependence of sin, uh, illnesses, the Holy Spirit is upon this place to deliver you from bitter 
a hatred that may be in your heart. This is the act of the, of the mind and will to forgive. Forgive your husbands and your wife, your children, your parents, your sisters, your brothers. Forgive your leaders. Forgive your managers at work. Forgive the policemen on the street that uh, may have um, unrightly have uh, given you a ticket or, or other. Forgive and free your heart from, uh, from this uh, bitterness so that the Lord may judge for you. Amen. Let us pray. We wait for you. I am going to be praying together with you and I ask you to believe deeply that God loves you. He is for you. He is not against you. He is upon this place to be able to break this connection you have to sin, to fear, to shame, to heal you from all sorts of illnesses. He is here to prepare your body so that it, the resurrection of Christ can reign into it to clothe your body into the resurrection of Christ and prepare you for rapture. Close your eyes These are with your hands lifted to God, a sign that you're ready to receive from the Lord what He desires to give you. Pray together with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my sin, with my broken heart, with my shame, with my fear, I come to you and I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, heal my heart, heal my body, heal my spirit, heal my soul, remove my shame. I love you. I open up my heart and I ask you, enter in and be a king and Lord of my life. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Amen. Amen. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands, may they come near you, but they won't touch you. May all of these blessings come upon you and upon your children and be fulfilled upon you. And the nation shall say, Amen. And now, all of us together, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.